0: Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly all of the more than we can think or ask. God, you're an awesome God. You rule and you reign in our lives, Lord. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are on the throne today. And we love you. Father, I pray for every heart here. I pray for every Christian that they are encouraged in their walk with you. They leave here today closer in fellowship and communion and walking with you today and Lord if there's anyone here that's not saved I pray Lord that they'll see their need for salvation today they'll see you Lord Jesus and they'll be like I need Jesus so that's my prayer Lord as we get into the Bible study as we get into your word that you touch hearts and lives this morning in Jesus' mighty name I pray all God's people said Amen. amen amen you may have a seat it is wonderful to see your smiling faces. I so look forward to Sunday morning. You know, all pastors say that, though, right? They all say, a so I so look forward to Sunday morning. But I do, I do. You know, I'm a believer just like you guys walking through this life, and I need encouragement, too. And um, I'm very thankful for my brothers and sisters, and I'm thankful for all you guys here. And I hope you feel the love this morning from our fellowship, as we love each other. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we are going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew, and we made it through the first two chapters, and this morning, in our verse by verse study, we come to Matthew chapter 3, and we're studying verses 1 through 12. Let's take a look at it. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the districts around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this study this morning. Thank you, Father, that we're going to learn from John the Baptist on on repentance. So, Lord, let your word go deep into our hearts as we explore the text this morning and see what you're saying in your inspired word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So, question for you this morning. What makes a person beautiful? What makes a person beautiful in your eyes? Is it their hair? <clears throat> is it their eyes? Is it their attitude? You know, that's how we, we evaluate people a lot of times in life, in, in, in their beauty. We look at their hair, we look at their eyes, we look at their attitude, we look at their personality. But here's the big question. What makes us beautiful in God's sight? Because that's the one that matters most, is what, what does God see in us? What, what, what is it that makes us beautiful in His in sight? His is it our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our gentleness, our self-control? You've probably heard of those before. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. While those are beautiful in our life, I believe there's one that is greater. And that is the title of my message this morning. The beauty of repentance. Because when people think about repentance, most people think you're putting a wet blanket over their party. And nothing could be further from the truth. It Repentance from sin and trusting in Christ is the most beautiful, magnificent thing that could happen in your life. And it is beautiful in God's eyes. So that's what I'm going to convey to you this morning. Here's the thesis of my my teaching this morning. Real beauty is found in a heart that is broken over their sin and they understand the value of the cross. That, my friend, is true divine beauty. And there's no beauty this higher than that. Everything on the outside is going to fade away. But what's on the inside is what's going to last forever. When most people hear the word repent, they feel it's like a wet blanket raining down on their fun of living in sin. But what they fail to realize is that sin is deceptive. In reality, Uh, And if you don't think this way, you're deceived, because in reality, sin brings corruption, sin brings death, and sin brings darkness into your life. The message of repentance is beautiful, magnificent, and I'm going to lead you this morning in a study of true biblical repentance as we learn about it from John the Baptist. So let's dive into it, family. Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 It says now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea So what we have here is in Matthew chapter 3 we are introduced to John the Baptist John the Baptist is the first New Testament preacher and the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth what you need to understand is this John the Baptist was a man own fire for God, okay? He had a zeal, he had a passion. He didn't care what the world thought. He he knew his God and he knew what the word of God said and he was on fire and he was passionate about it. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 and 44 tell us that while he was in his mother's womb, in the mother in his mother's womb, he was touched by the power of God and he was filled with joy. He brought his thunder and his message, and there was no seeker-sensitive message or apology to it. He laid he laid the wood. He laid it. He said, "Hey, man, you want the truth? I'm going to give you the truth." And I don't know about you, but even before I was a pastor, my requirement in, in finding a church before I became a pastor was, it's a, past, whatever church I go to, pastor, teach me the truth. Don't I'm not here to be I'm not here to be made to felt good or or give me warm fuzzies, God. I'm uh, pastor. I'm entrusting my 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 soul, my my eternal soul to your teaching. Please speak the truth in love, in love. So we we he, we got to preach the truth and speak it in love. And family, this is so vitally important. So John the Baptist's message. Look in verse two, the very next verse. He says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven." is at hand. This word repent, the Greek word is metanoia, it means to change your mind about the way you're living, to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Repentance, friends and family, is you and I saying, "Lord, I am sorry for my sin. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I am turning away from sin, and not only am I turning away from sin, but I'm turning to you." That's what repentance is. It's it's apologizing to God, saying you're sorry, please forgive me, I'm turning away from it. Repentance is you and I having a new attitude towards sin. We no longer want to live in sin, but we desire in our life to pursue Christ and to pursue holiness, to to pursue purity. We understand, family, in repentance that sin is darkness and darkness upon our heart, and we want to get rid of it. We, I don't want that no more. Not perfect. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're not perfect. But there's this desire on the inside that says, Lord, I need you. You're the only thing I need in this life. More than my family, more than my education, more than my job. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. That's repentance. So it's not just turning away from uh, lying, lusting, stealing, adultery, fornication, and, and all, this, all the sins that you can list. But it's saying, Lord, I need you. You're, you're replacing that love for sin with a love for Jesus. That's what repentance is. Now, interesting note here. These, verse 2 is the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Just one or two pages over. Guess what the first words are guess what Jesus' first words were after he began his public ministry? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. I don't have it on the slide, but I, because I want you to see it. John the Baptist's first words were repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, which is the first statement Jesus makes after he launches his public ministry. What does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist and Jesus had the same message, just in case you were wondering, or just in case some, as some, people are tempted, some people are tempted to separate the two. But Jesus said the same thing as John the Baptist. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, this is what he says about John the Baptist, and that brings the value of Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, to where it should be. Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Do you see the value? Do you see the importance that Scripture puts on John the Baptist and his message, repentance? In other words, it wasn't just for way back then. It's for today also that we we turn from our sin. So let's continue. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Family, you need to understand, who's the gospel of Matthew written to? We talked about this past couple of weeks. It's written to Jews. Verse 3 is number 6 of 129 times that Matthew in his gospel will point back to the Old Testament. The gospel of Matthew was written to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and his point was conveying to them that this is Jesus the Messiah that your prophets were pointing to, okay? So it's a messianic gospel. And here, verse 3, Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And it's a prophecy. it was a prophecy pointing to John the Baptist's ministry. And notice what it says. It describes John, a prophecy describing John. It says, one crying in the wilderness. What does that mean, one crying in the wilderness? I'm going to tell you what it means. John the Baptist was going to let his voice be heard, okay? And we have to let our voices be heard. We have to herald the gospel to our friends, to our families, to our neighbors, to the people we love. We have to let our voices be heard. It's not just enough to sit back and let my light shine, just kind of like like reverberate from me, hopefully they'll see Jesus in me. You know, while our character should reflect Christ, but we got to open our mouth, you know, we got to speak the words. One crying in the wilderness, this crying in the wilderness, it speaks of John the Baptist's desperation to get the message out. I will not be silent. I will proclaim the gospel, he's saying. I will command people to repent. And then he says, uh, in verse 3, it says, Make ready the way of the Lord. How do you make ready the way of the Lord? By calling people to turn from sin, to turn from darkness, to turn from immorality. And it's not just enough to just turn from sin, okay? Who you turn to is important also, okay? Okay? If you just turn from sin, that's not good enough. you got to turn from sin to Jesus. That's complete repentance. That's turning away and saying, I'm done with it. I'm trusting in you, Christ. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. That's how we make ready the way of the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 4. Verse 4. Lots to unpack here. Verse 4 says, now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, I, t- I did try to go on Amazon this week, but I, I was unsuccessful. I wanted to purchase some honey-covered crickets to give you guys, but I couldn't find none. So I'm sorry. And now I thought, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll wear a belt and camel hair and, and all this crazy stuff and some long hair, but it, did, it didn't work out. It didn't work. So I'm just going to let your imaginations... Fill in the blank of what John the Baptist looked like. But here's the deal. John the Baptist was a wild dude. Okay? He was a dude. He was a cool guy. I would have loved John the Baptist. I would not have liked the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because all the Pharisees and the Sadducees cared about was their outer appearance. And their priestly garments. And how people looked on the outside. What does John the Baptist, what, is it, what does this tell us? About how God views people? God looks at the heart, okay? So, you know, I'm very thankful. That's why I don't wear a coat and tie to church. You know, and, and the only time I wear a coat and tie is to funerals and weddings. I come to church comfortable because I come to church because I'm not worried about the outside. I'm worried about the inside. And that's what our focus is. You know, one of our advertisements is we're, we're, we're casual. We're casual, contemporary, and challenging. Casual meaning you come as you are. Just wear some clothes, okay? Don't come, don't you know? Put some clothing on your body, okay? But come with clothing, and then and then uh, casual, contemporary. we sing seen contemporary style worship music, and then the third C is challenging. We teach verse by verse through the Bible. That's so so important because we know that God looks at the heart. Man, I'm not. I want your heart changed. God wants your heart changed. This attire reveals. John the Baptist's attire reveals his devotion to God. He's not caring what the world thinks. I believe God sent John the Baptist in this exotic attire as a rebuke to the Pharisees and the religious people of the first century. They focused on outer appearance, and they neglected matters of the heart. And John the Baptist, eating his locusts and honey, can you just imagine that, hearing him crunch down on some locusts? I don't know about you, that's disgusting to me. That's just disgusting. But that was how he was. He, he, he was focused on the people's hearts. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. That's what I'm trying to drive home in this verse to you guys, family, is remember God looks at the heart. Psalm chapter 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. This is what God sees as beautiful, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51, we know know that chapter that was written after King David slept with Bathsheba, had adultery, had a child, lost a child. And... uh, King David wrote that song. We'll talk a little more about it later. But he says at the very end of verse 17, you will not despise. If you come to God with a broken heart, family, he will not despise you. He will not despise you. He will welcome you. He'll, he will welcome you at his table. Okay? So don't ever think, I can't confess to God my sin. I can't bring to him that which is eating me up on the inside. Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise, and he welcomes you to this table. Because the truth be told, every single one of us are broken by sin. Every single one of us are are, are marred by the curse, are marred by the fall. And God specializes in in grace. Grace to you. Grace to your heart. Grace to your life to help you be transformed into the image of Christ. He offers you grace. Let's continue. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the districts around the Jordan. Wow. It says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him. And it says, And... All Judea John the Baptist preaching was so powerful and effective people came from everywhere to hear him preach John Wesley said this get on fire for God and the world will come to watch you burn that needs to be our heart cry it's not just for John Wesley it's not just for preachers that's for all believers our hearts cry should be Lord set me on fire with a passion for your glory, your power, your fame, just to be a witness to you and let the world stand back and marvel and say, wow, he's on fire or she's on fire. That should be our heart cry. That should be our heart cry. That's one of the things of the Holy Spirit. He stirs our hearts. He gives us a passion. He gives us a flame for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. To, that, that passion and that fire is so consuming that it causes us to place Christ first. And we don't care what the world thinks. John the Baptist didn't. John Wesley didn't. And neither should you and I. Neither should you and I. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our strength, and all our mind. But they were, they were coming from all over the place. This John the Baptist, I don't know, I wonder if they were, I, I'm sure they were coming to hear the message. But I'm sure there was also rumors getting out that, hey man, this dude is weird. This guy's eating locusts and honey and he's got this crazy attire. And they wanted to hear it. And he looked nothing. This is important. John the Baptist looked nothing like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were a religious sect of Judaism that, that, that rose to power during the intertestamental period. They had twisted the scripture themselves. They had gotten away from the Bible. They weren't drawing no attention. But John the Baptist was drawing all the attention because he had a passion and he had a flame. Let's continue. Verse 6. It says, And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan. And this is important. Look at the end of verse 6. As they, what does it say? They confessed their sins. That's an important statement in verse 6. You know, confession is part of repentance. And I believe, friends and family, that in our prayer closet, in our devotional time with the Lord, we need to verbally tell the Lord our sin. Not to your mom, your dad, your brothers, sisters, friends and relatives. It's not important that you tell them. It may be necessary for other reasons, but for your devotion to Christ, it's important that you, between you and God, in your prayer closet, in your place, in your quiet place, that you confess your sin to God. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sin. Sometimes, but now, that's between you and the Lord. But there are times in life where we need to confess our sins to our brother's or sisters. And the reason that might be is for accountability. It's for accountability and help. You know, we're here to help each other. We're, hel- we're here to help each other grow in your relationship with Christ. And if you come to me and say, Pastor David, I am really struggling, and you name off a sin, you know what? I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you grace. I'm like, Lord, help me to be the hands and feet of you, Lord God, to this brother, this brother in Christ. Help me to encourage him and, and hold him accountable. James chapter 5, verse 16, I believe, talks about this. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Notice that what it said there? Pray for one another. Not judge each other. Not throw each other under the bus. Not reject people, but pray. Uh, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that, verse 16 says, so that you may be healed. Healed. So that spiritual healing takes place in our hearts. And then it goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So when they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, they were being dunked. At the same time, They were confessing their sins. They were turning from them. Verse 7. Let's continue. Verse 7. It says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I could just see John the Baptist down there by the river preaching, baptizing, just a massive revival and outpouring of the Spirit. And things are just, God is on the move, man. God is doing great and amazing things. And then over over the hill, here comes the Pharisees. Here comes the Sadducees. Here comes the religious folks. They, they're going to stop all this. They're going to want to stop all this. In the first century, there were two dominant parties in Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees had twisted, by the time of the New Testament, by the time of Jesus' day, The Pharisees had twisted the scripture to teach that being right with God came from a strict observance of the law. We call that today legalism. And it's not biblical. And Paul condemns it throughout the entire book of Galatians. Then there were the Sadducees. They denied the spirit realm, clear truths taught in the Bible. They denied a future resurrection. And what does John call them? What does John call them? John calls them you brood of vipers. Why does he call them a brood of vipers? Because they are deceiving the people. They are deceiving the people and they are twisting scripture. They are saying things that the Bible doesn't say. Okay, and the same thing can be said of false teachers today that they are a brood of vipers. Why? Because they twist. They mangle, and they distort the clear and simplistic message of the Bible. Friends, this book can be understood by your children. This, 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 the scriptures can be understood with childlike faith. And I'm sorry for all my scholars and people in higher education, but it's so simple that... Uh, Anybody, if you just open the Bible and read it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding the meaning of the text, it's simple. And we don't need, we don't twist it. We don't distort it. It's perfect just as it is. That's what makes it so beautiful. You know, um, Old Testament saints were saved just like you and I. The Bible says in Genesis, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Old Testament. We all love it here today in the New Testament. It was written in the Old Testament. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Okay? It was by faith then. It is by faith now salvation and a relationship with Christ, if I could put it in two simple words, it would be, it's like a coin, a coin with two sides, repentance and faith. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn away from the old life and I put my trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. That is Christianity. And then you begin to study the Bible and you develop and you grow in your relationship with him. It's that simple, and it's, I love it. It's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, simple truth. But they were twisting it, and he calls them a brood of vipers. What does is, what is a viper's fangs do? It kills you. It kills you. It, a, a viper kills a person by its, by its bite. And false teaching are like fangs that kill someone spiritually, when they teach things that are false and unbiblical against the scripture. So he calls them a brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. In other words, they needed to repent. Thankfully, if they would have, I'm sure God showed them grace and they they would get saved. Let's continue, verse 8. Verse 8 says, uh, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bearing fruit is when your life Shows your departure from the old life and you walk in the freedom that Christ bought for you at the cross. It is the one who has lifted up their chains and shackles, and Jesus has shattered their slavery to sin. Bearing fruit in repentance, verse 8, is a soul that sings, it is a happy heart. It is a uh, prisoner set free. Now, this is very important. Please pay extra attention to what I'm fixing to say in case you dozed off. Repentance does not mean you will be perfect, okay? You will not ever be perfect. I will not ever be perfect. No one is perfect. Yes, even Christians sin, okay? Keep that in mind. We blow it along the way. And just in case you're tempted to think you have reached this state of perfection, listen to what John says in 1 John 1.8. He says this to the believers. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, family? Truth be told, you sin, I sin. We blow it along the way in the Christian life. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can repent, get back up, brush the dust off, and keep serving the Lord. Okay? No Christian is perfect. uh, They call it sinless perfectionism. It's a false teaching. It's it's taught nowhere in Scripture. You know, that's why we have grace. That's why we have the New Testament epistles. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to help us grow in our love and our relationship with Christ. There should be a steady growth. there. There should be a steady moving forward in life. But no one is perfect. Listen, I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this. This was his commentary on 1 John 1.8. Charles Spurgeon said, speaking on sinless perfection, he says this, harsh, hard words. Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness and self-deception. If you say you have no, have no sin, you have achieved a fearful success. You have put out your own eyes and perverted your own reason. Basically what Charles Spurgeon is saying, you're blind. I'm blind. If we think that we're perfect, no one is perfect. Family, we are at war with sin. Sometimes we win the battle, sometimes we lose the battle. You ever lost a battle with sin in the flesh? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I've, I've, I've wrestled with the flesh, and I've I've sinned and I've fallen short in times. Sometimes I win battles, sometimes I lose battles. But understand this, family. In your fight against sin, you have the grace of God on your side. You have the grace of Almighty God, not against you, but for you. The grace of God says, Get back up. I got you. Get back up. You can do this. You can do this. You can move forward. In your fight against sin, you have the Holy Spirit on your side. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. You know, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit's dwelling on the inside. And the Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation. He brings conviction. He brings conviction. So when I do something that's wrong or I sin, the Holy Spirit, Holy, Holy Spirit, He convicts me of my sin. It says, David, take that to the throne of grace and stop it. And I say, yes, Lord. But we have the Holy Spirit on our side. In your fight against sin, you have the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that we've established that nobody's perfect, including me, we're all on the same playing field, and we can encourage each other. You can do it you got this thing, man. You can overcome that temptation. We're going we're to pray together. We're going to read the Bible together. In the spirit of grace and love, I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to hold me accountable. But we have the encouragement of our brothers and sisters on our side in our fight against sin so that we, so verse 8, that we bear fruit in keeping our repentance. And here's the most important statement on this. In your fight against sin, you ready for this? You have God himself on your side. How about that? In your fight, in your war with the flesh, you have almighty God, creator of the universe, on your side. Listen to what Paul, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8. He says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have the grace of God. You have the Holy Spirit. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have God on your side. You know what I say to you? You can do it. You can do it. Because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do it. You can win this battle. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're wrestling. You're fighting. You're struggling. You're winning some battles. You're losing some battles. You're getting beat around. But I'm here to tell you, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Stay the course. Stay the course. Fight the good fight. You can do it. Let's continue. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The Pharisees here, they're not trusting in God. They're trusting in their heritage. They're like, oh, we're sons of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, you will not be saved based on your parents' faith, your spouse's faith, or even your church's faith. You must own it. You must have your own faith and trust in In the Lord. We have to own it, we have to possess it, we have to have it for ourselves. Verse 10: the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Authentic conversion and salvation will lead to a pursuit of God, sometimes slow, sometimes fast, but there will be an inward desire to follow Christ. A person who says, I believe but they live an unrestrained sinful life that continues throughout the entirety of their life. Their life is characterized by sin and no desire to repent. This person is in danger. That is who verse 10 is talking about. And if you find yourself in that category, fix it. Fix it. Repent and take God serious. Verse 11. But as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I And I am not fit to remove his sandals. Here, John the Baptist is doing something very spiritual, family. He's acknowledging the greatness and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, man, I'm not worthy, man. This guy who's coming, he is mighty. And what will he do? The end of verse 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This talks about the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the works of the Holy Spirit in their life, and there's a lot of them, one of them is he works sanctification. He works in our heart to remove sin, to remove rebellion. He will convict you. You know, it's, once you become a Christian, that's when it all begins. That's when the process of sanctification begins. And the Holy Spirit begins to tap on your shoulder. and He starts putting his finger on areas of your life. That's the grace of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to conviction, to show us in our life where we're falling short. Verse 12, the final verse. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, verse 12 goes with verse 11. When you surrender to Christ, the Spirit's work in your life, he will burn up the chaff. He will burn up the sin. But you and I have to confess it and forsake it. And what does he promise when we um, exercise repentance? He promises us grace and freedom. Application for today. Have you repented? Have you repented? Have you said, not not perfection, but have you said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my rebellion. Please forgive me. Lord, please orient my heart towards you. It's really, it's all a work of the spirit. It's all a work of God. You know, we say, God, please change my heart. Please set my heart in, in, in your direction. I want to read to you um, in closing Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51 was written after King David uh, slept with Bathsheba, committed adultery. Then he had a child and he lost a child. And listen to King David. I'm not going to give, I'm going to give very little commentary. I just want you to hear, um, The heart of King David and his heart of repentance is found in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. It won't be up on the screen, so you'll need to turn to it in your Bible, or you can just listen along. Psalm 51 says this. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. You know, verse 1, King David, there's three things that's going to take place when we repent. Um, you're going to, verse 1, you're going to experience grace. You're going to experience God's loving kindness. And you're going to experience God's compassion. That's, that's awesome when we repent. That's the things that you experience. Psalm 51, 1. verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He cleanses and washes and it goes deep. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 3, you know, when we don't repent, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm just speaking from my experience in my Christian life of serving the Lord for 30 years. When I don't repent, it haunts me. It's like I hear that voice. I see that image in my head. But unrepentant sin will haunt you. It, 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 will, it will bring guilt. And, it, it, and it's not until we confess it. Verse 4, Psalms 51, verse 4, if you want to, the, 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 the greatest definition of repentance, just write this down in your notes. It's Psalms 51, 4. It says, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Again, sin is not against man, okay? Sin is against God, okay? We need to understand that. Now, we can't sin against man, but our sin primarily in our heart and our relationship with God is against him. So we repent to the Lord. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, in, and in sin my mother conceived me. Here David's talking about the problem that we all have. We're all born into sin. We're all born into sin. Welcome to the club. One sinner, one sinner talking to a bunch of other sinners. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost Being And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Oh, family, when we repent, there's joy. There's gladness. It makes the heart merry. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted. When you experience repentance, true biblical repentance from sin, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't help but to want to tell people. How good God is and you know I there there's uh, one Bible verse I disagree with where Paul says he talks about in Scripture in the testament he was the chief of sinners I say no Paul you aren't the chief of sinners you're looking at the chief of sinners standing up here when we understand how much he's forgiven us and we're so thankful for everything he's done in our lives we can't help but to tell other people there is nothing more beautiful in this life than turning from sin and trusting in our awesome Savior. I want to bring it back to my thesis in closing, uh, which was um, the beauty of repentance. i want to give you five of them. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance is beautiful because, number one, you're being honest with God. That's so important, that you're honest with the Lord. Number two, Repentance from sin and trusting in Christ, it makes your heart, it makes the inside of us white as snow. Number three, repentance is beautiful because the guilt and shame of the past is completely removed. Number four, repentance is beautiful because it reveals your true identity in Christ. When we get the darkness out of the way, when we get the sin out of the way, we say, oh, man, I found my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to serve you, Jesus, to confess my sin, turn away, receive you, trust you, and live for you. Because what sin does, sin is like like a black blanket draped over your eyes, and you can't see. That's what it's like. But when we repent, we see our true identity. And number five, when you repent, God truly, forgives, heals, and restores you. He will do it. Man, I was on the highway to hell in 1992. I was was head banging it out to ACDC Guns N' Roses and doing all the things that their music talks about. And then I met Christ. Then I met Christ, and he completely turned my life around. I went from having an appetite for destruction to living for Jesus. And he he forgave me, he healed my heart, and he restored me to wholeness in this life. Repentance is beautiful. You know, um, if you haven't repented, that's between you and God, okay? You do it. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Help me to turn away. And then embrace the Lord Jesus with all your heart. And let him just pour his love, his joy, his kindness, his goodness into your heart. And you will experience this heart, this white as snow, this true identity in Christ, this forgiveness, and this healing, and this restoration. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's service. Father, thank you for this study in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Lord, thank you for this message that you have recorded in Scripture of John the Baptist and him bringing the message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, help each and every one of us to examine our own hearts and ask the question, have we repented? Have we brought it to your throne of grace? And Lord, if there be anyone that hasn't, I pray, Lord, they'll get that right between you and between them. And then, Lord, they'll, they'll just respond in love. They'll just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. God, please encourage your people. Encourage the body of Christ. Show them your compassion. Show them your love. Show them your grace. And Lord, if anyone's here doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that they'll call upon the name of the Lord. They'll confess you, Jesus, is Lord, and turn from sin and give you their heart and life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.